I'm not sure if you're ready to hear this yet, but unfortunately, I can't waste any time easing you into it. I want you to know this is what I believe, and it may contradict a previous medical diagnosis, but you called me here, and I'm taking that as an acceptance of my readings. Yes? Go on. Your son isn't in a coma. Falling off a ladder had nothing to do with this. His physical body is here, but his spiritual body is not. And the reason these disturbances, they followed you to a new home, is because it's not the house that's haunted. It's your son. Welcome to The Fear of God, episode 90. We are having a conversation every single week about the intersection between Christianity and the horror genre, and having that conversation with you right now is myself, Mr. Reed Lackey, and typically with me is my good friend, uh, longtime podcast host of uh, now going on two years of podcast host and nearly 20 years of friendship. Uh, Mr. Nathan Rouse is normally with me, but to my utter surprise, he's been in a coma for the last four months, and I had no idea, but it's actually been his astral projection that's been podcasting me with me for all this time. I mean, I'm not even really sure if it's if it's really been him or not. Um, I don't know. I mean, you can listen to like early episodes of the show and see the difference or find out if you think that it's really been him or not. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm still confused about it. So uh, so listeners, I mean, uh, it, it, speaking of which, if you want to check out our back catalog, you can look on iTunes. You can subscribe. Uh, you can listen to old episodes. If you like us, you can leave us a rating or review. Uh, you could pop over to the Facebook group page. Um, join the Facebook group group, check out the page, Instagram, Twitter, all the fun places. You can do all of that. Um, and then uh, meanwhile, we'll continue. Oh, his eyes just opened. Hey, hey, Nathan Rouse. Reed? How you doing? Reed? Yeah. I, How you doing? I'm okay. I saw Darth Maul sharpening his fingernails. Hey, do you mind if I snap make... a photo real quick? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Hey, you know, buddy. Hey, man. Um, any talk of astral projection always makes me think of. I just thought it'd be funny because that's a funny setup. But really, it actually does make me think of Doctor Strange. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's where I know astral projection from is old Mr. Doctor. 
It's true. Uh, Doctor lives in the further, evidently. So yeah, we are having a conversation this week. We're continuing our series. Uh, we, you know, it's basically a series of hashtags now. At this point, um, <laughs> consider the Blums, Candy Coated Water Drops, Audio Adrenaline. It's uh, it's a cornucopia of uh, strange pop culture references. But and um, in fact, this is the penultimate one, man. It is the penultimate one. We can't go. Uh, we can't have a penultimate episode without calling it penultimate because that's what we do here at no. the Fear of God. So you can't have uh, a penultimate everything unless you're going to call it penultimate because. <laughs> It's kind of like a tree falling in the woods. If no one's around, did it make a sound? If you don't call a penultimate thing penultimate, is it really penultimate? I think by definition it still is, but you know, that's, that's that's penultimately splitting hairs. Um, So basically uh, we are having now a conversation uh, in our Blumhouse series of films. We are having a conversation this week, uh, right before the end, which is the penultimate. That's what penultimate means. Uh, Right before the end, we are having a conversation about James Wan's insidious. Um, Mm. But, but before we do that, uh, and before we get into our usual frivolity, cue the music. And now we are going to introduce to you in our SummerSlam of Monsters. Our you know what's amazing mash. about that? What? About that music, that sound drop you throw what? in there? Yeah, what? Is despite the fact that I threw it at you two weeks ago, I keep forgetting about it. <laughs> and then I'll go listen to our episode and I'll be like, what happened? And they're like, oh... Oh yeah, I love it. <laughs> and then like 30 seconds later I'm like, okay. Joke's over. No, I'm just, wow. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. No, it's really a lot it's a lot of fun. So yeah, Monster Mash. Yes. Who are we who are we who's slugging it out this week? Okay, so this week is the this is the category that I am most excited about, but we are going to be revealing your brackets, uh, your voted on brackets for the slashers. Slashers. Category. These are the slashers. Uh, so some humans, some spirits, some monsters, but these are the ones that would technically be considered slashers. They slice and dice. So moving right into it. Uh, like the um like the Guns N' Roses guitarist? Like Slash, yes, but he's right. not in this. He's he's not competing oh, well, this time around. You know, I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, but uh, <laughs> the first the first battle is going to be between the iconic Michael Myers of the Halloween franchise, my personal favorite, not to sway you, but Michael Myers is going up against the Ghostface Killer from the Scream franchise. Oh man, I don't. That's that's don't pretty know. good. I I, w- I want to see that movie. Like I've been I mean, to see that movie. <laughs> oh. I think I think my money's on Myers in that. Like his his yeah yeah. Speaking I, of, I know you saw it. Did you see that teaser? I saw the teaser. The th- right, the full, the full trailer releases tomorrow. Tomorrow, yeah. But right. I saw the teaser. Whoa! I love that they're using the original music. You know what? Infinity War aside, my most anticipated movie of 2018 has always been the new Halloween. So I am. Very, very excited. Hopeful, cautiously optimistic. Uh, yeah, all of that. I'm very, very, very excited. That's awesome. Um, so, uh, yeah, so moving right along with that is a film that we actually not only does exist, but, I mean, you can watch it. You can rent it somewhere. Uh, we're going to finally decide definitively right here at The Fear of God who would win between Freddy Krueger and Jason Voorhees. So, yeah, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you get to decide. If you like how that film turned out, then you go ahead and vote is that there, way. If does you want the it movie, differently, then... Is the movie definitive? 
I feel like the movie's pretty definitive. I mean, it leaves it open with a little, like a, a, a literal wink at the camera at the very end of like, well, maybe there, there's a possibility of further, but I feel like the movie is, is pretty definitive. Um, have you ever for seen who? that movie? No. Oh, man. Well, I don't want to spoil it for our listeners. Well, come on. They've all seen okay. it. Yeah, that's true. I haven't okay. seen it. So, no, I'm a, I, I think the movie pretty much lands on Jason Wins. Um, oh, really? So, yeah, but but there is a very literal wink at the camera from Freddy in the final shot. So, so it's mm. not, you know, it's not like it's ultimately done. It's but like you let this, him win. Yeah, in this particular battle, Jason comes up on top. Mm. But uh, in the next one, one that uh, is... Man, these mashups are great. I want to see these movies so bad. So we have Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre mm-hmm. is going up against Mr. Jigsaw from the Saw franchise. And, I, man, I don't know which Saw is going to win. See, I, I never, <laughs> um, I haven't seen a single Saw. Is is Jigsaw more a behind-the-scenes manipulator type character, or he gets his hands dirty kind of character? Both. But I would oh, really? say he's, but he's a he's a crafty like puzzle maker, and sure. so whereas Leatherface is more sort of like blunt force trauma. So I don't, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it, it would just it would just depend. But I badly want to see that movie. I want to see the movie where Jigsaw tries to overpower Leatherface and see what happens. Leatherface um, is just dancing with his chainsaw. Ugh. Um, so the next mashup is another one that man, I just really wish could happen. So so Candyman. Uh, from the, of course, Candyman franchise, is going up against Pinhead, the the lead Cenobite from the Hellraiser series. Um, that is, man, that would be a scary movie. I don't want to see that movie. <laughs> Such a scary movie. Um, this one feels a bit uh, almost insulting. It, it just, the votes played out this way, but uh, it, it just so happens that we have two characters that are a bit on the shorter side. Um, so we've got... Uh, <laughs> We've got Chucky. Ch- Chucky from the Child's Play series is going up against uh, Sam, uh, short for Sam Hain from Trick or Treat. Have you ever seen Trick or Treat? No. That uh, uh, movie's fun. We should cover it sometime because, boy, it is really, really fun. But, yeah, Ch- uh, Chucky from Child's Play is going up against Sam from Trick or Treat. Um, we, we tossed a couple of humans into the mix because we technically, technically classify them as slashers. We've got Patrick Bateman from American Psycho uh, showing his card to the fisherman from I Know What You Did Last Summer. So let's see wow, which one of those. A weird pairing. Yeah, let's see which one of those comes up on top. Um, we've got two more. The, the uh, penultimate one of this is the, <laughs> the tall man from the Phantasm series, which is uh, kind of started out as a human, but now is kind of a paranormal being. You'd have to see the franchise to understand. But the tall man from the Phantasm series is going up against one of my my favorite monsters in all of uh, cinema history, Pumpkinhead, which, oh man, I'm, I'm anxious for us to do like an episode about Pumpkinhead, but that's a conversation for literally another time. Um, and then the final mashup is going to be another three-way tie. Um, so it's a three-way death match between the Creeper from Jeepers Creepers, John Ryder, the psychopathic killer from The Hitcher, and Leslie Vernon from the incredible mockumentary slash horror comedy uh, Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon, which if any of our listeners have not seen that film, the name of the film is Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. Uh, you should see that film as soon as you possibly can. It is it's a, a fantastic It's a movie. mockumentary? It's, it's a, yes. You'd have to see it to understand, but it's a mockumentary slash horror comedy uh, that is 
quite genius, honestly. It's really huh. good. Um, so Leslie Vernon from that is going up against the Creeper from Jeepers Creepers and John Ryder from The Hitcher. And that concludes our Monster Mash in the Slashers category. We already have the winners from the Monsters category, and we have the winners from the Humans category. And let me tell you, Mr. Nathan Rouse, the Humans category, uh, some of the Monsters were kind of landslides. Some of those votes, like it was, it was pretty definitive who was going to win. But the Humans, it was neck and neck. Most of the Humans won by like 51 or 52 percent like it was neck and neck between those humans categories it was so really, what really tight so educate your host uh and and your listeners at the same time so this was slashers then we got spirits next week what yes. happens next so what you? we'll do yeah so what we'll do is we'll have uh spirits next week and then the week following that so the week after next we will reveal the winners of the brackets for monsters and humans and then gotcha. the week following that we'll reveal the winners for spirits and slashers um, right right to uh, all, all kind of culminating if i've timed it correctly all kind of culminating in the final winner being revealed about around our 100th episode so nice so yep I dig it. it's gonna be a lot of fun so uh yeah so cast your votes for that as soon as you possibly can and uh nathan rouse reed lackey i have to know Tell me. What is what is that? It's, I know it. it. You saw you saw the movie that we're talking about today. It's it's tiptoe through the tube. Oh well, yeah, my, yeah, yeah. My horrible rendition of it. D- but. No, it was actually a very good rendition because <laughs> it, it pinged immediately. I just was like, golly, why do I know that? <laughs> it is a crazy time in the house house, so I don't you know. Did I watch this movie? I think I did. I was in the room and it was on and my eyes were on the TV. I don't know exactly what transpired <laughs> in the time frame, though. <laughs> right. Um, well, yeah, that was impressive, Riri. I dig yeah. it. Well, um, what are you watching, reading, or and or listening to? Well, I guess it's far enough away now that we can, we can dive into this mutually, um, despite its title. Um, I did <laughs> see Solo. Yes. Uh, slash or colon a star Wars story. Um, I don't have a whole lot to say about solo in part because I don't feel like there's a whole lot to say about solo. Um, (laughs) so low I, as any listener of rear window will know from this year, I, uh, adored the last Jedi with, with, with a force like passion and, I remember finishing the last Jedi and thinking, I don't, this is before knowing much to anything about the beleaguered production of solo. Um, but I remember watching the last Jedi and, and having such a fondness for what Johnson does in that movie in terms of the mythology and pushing things forward in new directions that I remember thinking, I don't really need solo. I don't, Mm. it feels like, it feels like looking backwards in a na- way that's unnecessary, but you know, I, I, I'm a blockbuster fan. I'm a Marvel fan. I'm a Disney fan. I'm a star Wars fan. I'm a Pixar fan. I'm willing to give these mm-hmm. companies the benefit of the doubt. And so I was like, fine, you know, I'll, I'll go. And I just, I, I don't know, man, like I am not, um, gonna just beat it up. Cause I just don't, I don't, I don't think it's a garbage movie by any means. Oh, like, not, it's not at all. that. No, no, no. Um, I it's just, very fun. I want you to finish your thoughts, but like, yeah, well, I just, I I just, 
I came away just kind of reaffirmed of like, yeah, I, I don't know that I really needed that. Um, I, I worry that it does, you know, solo Han Solo without Harrison Ford is, is a challenge. Um, yeah. And I even like that actor a lot and I don't have his name in front of me. I know his name, but I'm not going to attempt to say it out loud. Um, I loved him in hail Caesar. Um, I thought he was a reasonably strong choice as much as there can be to replace Harrison Ford. I texted you, gosh, what was it? I said to you, it was like, Oh, I, my, my concern about the reductive nature of solo is at some point we'll get the princess Leia movie and learn how mm. she made her hair the way she did. Like I just, yeah. I just yeah. don't care at a certain point. Like I don't need yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. all the dots connected anyway. So I'm not going to beat up on solo other than to say it's fine. Um, mm-hmm. It does not inspire me. I probably got a good few chuckles out of it. I did think the train sequence was really strong. Um, As did I. I didn't totally need to fill in the blanks on the parsec or, or the Kessel run. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, yeah, it was fine. It was fine. Yeah, that that pretty much sums up. I did write a review that you can go check out at more than one lesson.com, but I I my in my review's title, I kind of lead with my thoughts on it. I felt it was a little paint by numbers. I feel like it was a little like, yeah, we're just going to sort of like you said connect the dots and that's about all that it had to offer. I do consider it to be genuinely fun. But uh, my review gets into a few more specifics of the things that I would ding. The one major thing that I would say is I feel like he as a character starts off and ends at virtually the same place. He has new gadgets and new toys, but as a human being navigating the world, I didn't really get much sense that he learned much throughout the course of it, which made me wonder how necessary the the film was. But again, it's like it's this... I don't want to be that guy that just beats up on a movie that means well and is a lot of fun, but it, but yeah, it just, it, like you said, it was fine. It was perfectly fine. Well, and I respect your desire not to beat up on it. And, and I think the danger once they started accelerating the star Wars world is you take what should be on almost on almost every outing something special and you just make it fine. Sure. Like no one's really going to argue that the prequels as movies are special. That said the prequels as events were, you know what I mean? Like they were, it was a big deal. Mm -hmm. Sure. It was a big deal. Um, And even as much as you may or may not like Phantom Menace, you still were like, okay, well fine. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and I'm going to see the next one. Like they were events they felt Absolutely. special upon release. This, especially as close as it is to The Last Jedi, does not feel special in almost any way. I, I mean, yeah. I'm fine with it being kind of a fun adventure romp. I just, sure. I don't think you need to call it Han Solo. Yeah. <laughs> if you're going to yeah. do, if no. you're going to make that kind of movie. Anyway, so I will say one last little piggyback here or piggyback dovetail. I don't know. Pick your animal PS. and it's. Sure. Pick your animal and its body part. A piggyback, <laughs> oh. a dovetail. <laughs> Duck bill. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, I did listen to, there's a podcast that I was unfamiliar with, but do you know who Chris Hayes is? MSNBC personality? The name rings a bell, but His I wouldn't glasses, be able to. You'd probably recognize him. Um, he has a podcast called, I think it's called, Why Is This Happening? And his most recent episode, but the intention of the podcast is to take the machine of 
the news world and try to distill it into like, okay, what, what does this mean? What are the ramifications for a thing? They're hmm. usually kind of like us. They, they, he tries to steer away from real of the moment stuff. Okay. Um, but the most recent episode is on the immigration issues happening at the border. And oh, okay. I, I, I share this simply to say like, as someone myself who can get really confused by like, I just don't understand enough of what, of how it all works. Sure. Um, so if you're a listener and you're like, I understand there's some moral question marks around what's going on here, um, which is very true. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't totally understand the ins and outs and what this means. It's a really, really good listen. Um, it's about an hour. He goes through with a guy named Lee Gallant, who is a lawyer with the ACLU um, on the forefront of this issue right now. And they basically track immigration since since just before, but starting with around 9-11. And it's oh, just okay. a really interesting conversation, like hearing and understanding what the immigration system in the United States is. It was really fascinating. It's worth a listen. That's what I'm reading, listening to. Nice. Do you have something other than solo, Riri? I do. I do. So I just closed the, uh, the well, not just closed. It was, it was a while ago now at this point, but um, I finished the latest Stephen King book called The All Outsider. Right. Um, so... I'll, I'll make this pretty brief. One thing that I do want to plug, though, I mean, man, I love how much material Stephen King puts out in any given. I mean, he's released at least one book a year for the last 12 years, I believe. And he, in many years, he's released two books, including this one. We've got another book coming in November that I'm super excited for. So um, I just love well, his got, output. I, I was unaware it was even happening. And then I saw you tweeting pictures mm-hmm. about it. Like, yes. Um, can you sum up the premise? Yes. So, um, so basically the, there is a a heinous crime that I will not describe, uh, because it happens to a young boy, um, a very uncomfortable, I will say, I will uh, offer a friendly word of warning. Any listeners who love Stephen King and want to check it out, but are averse to brief, but very graphic depictions of bad things happening to kids should be warned, just be warned. And so this crime has taken place. And the primary suspect is the local, uh, he's a, I forget his profession. I think he's a teacher in the book, but he's uh, like the little league coach. Like he's very, a well-known and well-respected member of the community and all facts, including, uh, fingerprints and other ironclad pieces of evidence point to him as the suspect. Only problem is he has an ironclad alibi. Uh, I won't go into all the particulars, but his alibi is as strong as the evidence against him. And from that premise, the whole book sort of launches. So uh, I will say two things, at least two things, but I'll try to keep this brief. The, The book makes a narrative pivot about a third of the way through the book where it becomes a very different type of book. It's still the same story, but it becomes a very different type of book. I won't say why, because that would spoil too much, but it, it just becomes, with this same story and with the same sort of dilemma, it becomes a very different type of book after about the third way mark. Um, I read some reviews online afterwards that found that shift to be jarring, and some of them found it disappointing. I did not mind it, although I do admit that the first third is insanely propulsive. Um, the rest of the book is very readable and very propulsive as well, but that first third is just, I, I had to, I could not turn the pages fast enough. There is a narrative pivot where things sort of shift and slow down a little bit. But 
then, and man, I, I want so badly to just spoil all of this. I won't. Um, I will say this. At the halfway mark, a character makes a phone call, and when that character makes that phone call, uh, Stephen King, as he is often prone to do, he makes connections to previous material. Uh, a character makes a phone call, and when that phone call happens, Stephen King links this to previous work of his that I had no idea about, and I did not know that that w- that it was an element of this book. And when that happens, I, I I wish I could spoil it because when I read that page with the phone call, <laughs> I came out of the seat that I was sitting in, and I That's got hilarious. so super excited because I was like, "Oh my gosh, I didn't even I didn't even know this was coming." Um, I will say to my <laughs> disappointment um, that again, brief reviews uh, just spoil that. Oh, like, wow. yeah, they just spoil it. They just say, hey, and if you're interested, uh, this is an element, too. And I'm like, oh, oh, that was a big surprise to me. That was a major surprise to me wow. and really thrilled me that that was an element of this book that I didn't know about. But every reviewer seems to feel fine uh, with spoiling that element. That is a a huge surprise at the halfway mark of the book. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm surprised by that. But uh so that makes the book wind up being sort of the last half of the book is really sort of a um, a follow up to to a previous work of Stephen King's that uh, that I'm very very fond of and so uh, yeah goodness gracious I am impressed with your ability to dance between yeah. raindrops of vagary yeah oh uh, yeah and, and you won't hear vague. it from me Mr. Rouse I mean, you won't hear I mean, it from me I feel like I feel like I just scanned a clickbait article and I'm like well read now I've got to go read the book I mean I want to read the book but now <laughs> I do recommend it yeah you've teased me and I'm like okay let's stop recording right now <laughs> um, no, no well, so that has been another entry in that's that is definitely a creepy song um it reminds me of the wonderful song from the x-files episode home um oh no that so was. we are utter respecters of the fact that we went a crazy long time on last week's episode <laughs> of the purge. Yes. What's funny about this is I remember with creep when we did creep two weeks ago, three weeks ago, whichever, yeah, um, two weeks ago, I was very aware of just how much over the actual runtime of the movie. Our podcast was like, sure. Like oh, yeah. we're, I mean, don't get me wrong. We, we push an hour and a half pretty routinely now, but like the creep is so noticeably short as a movie that it was humorous to me. Mm-hmm. Okay, we we really talked on that episode longer than, and then you have the perjurer. It's like, I and mean, we did it again, <laughs> right? Right. I hope we never cover Fellowship of the Ring, but um, <laughs> the 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 extended edition. Oh my um, gosh! So yes, it, bearing respect to that, this penultimate Blumhouse may we will attempt to be a little shrift. Um, yes. And if if read if read if you don't shut up, I'll just. Pull the plug. I'll just you okay. Know, we'll, okay. All right. We'll go we'll to the social just, media we'll cues just right off. So we are <laughs> talking about the first of four, three. There is four. a fourth one due to come There's, out this year. No, uh, no, no, no. Fourth one has come out to video release. Oh, right. Really? Like yeah. And as far as I know, there are no plans for a fifth. I have not seen the fourth one, so I don't know how conclusively they shut down the the series. But mm. yeah, but so and and the fourth one is called the last key. So they're really sort of pushing it as like this is, you know, the last, the last one. Of course, you know, Saw had a final chapter and then another sequel on top of that. So called, you never called, know. Called just kidding. 
<laughs> <Roger. laughs> um <laughs> so yeah we 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 are talking today about james wan's insidious the first film at least so as as a, a friend to you as a participant on the fear of god as just a casual netflix user i've seen this at least one of them i think is on netflix um i don't mm. I don't know where I watch this right now, but I'll stop my head. But, um, you know, I was very aware of this. I like Patrick Wilson. I like Rose Byrne, but I really yes. knew nothing other than the, the, um, cover art. Sure. And I did find this interesting. If I can throw a trivial bit at you. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. One, I hadn't connected that. And sure. You can say what kind of host are you on a fear on a horror podcast? And that's, perhaps legitimate um <laughs> i didn't i had not put together that james wan directed at least the first saw maybe more of them he directed the first saw he didn't direct any more of the franchise okay. yeah just um, the first saw i haven't seen any of the saws at least in concept they were always a real turnoff to me but that's a whole hmm. other conversation um interestingly i did find this today and it actually made me like him even more he said in an interview with entertainment weekly that while he was really proud of saw he felt that the movie uh, specifically the violence and gore of the movie put people off and made them hesitant to work with him. So he oh, made insidious to kind of prove that he could make a movie without the, that level of violence and still have scary, a scary factor to it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was really that interesting. Pretty interesting. Yeah. yeah and I, I, I mean, this is not a conversation about saw, but I find at least the very, the, the first one I've seen the entire franchise with the exception of the most recent jigsaw. Um, but, uh, I, I've seen all of the other core, uh, seven installments and, uh, and I, I find it very fascinating. I do find it fascinating from a premise perspective. And the first one is really good. The first one's very strong. It is, it is graphic, but you're right. Like it doesn't surprise me. It's a very violent film. Uh, it's, it's almost violent more conceptually than it is, um, actually what you see. It's a very restrained film huh. watching, watching the entire franchise, I had seen like the first three and then I went back to watch the original and was surprised at how restrained the original is. It's mm. actually more violent in concept than it is in what you actually sure, see sure. on screen. Uh, the future installments, well, that, that is not true. Really, <laughs> they go for it in future installments. Yeah. That actually is a little heartening because I do think between the conjurings and now this, mm -hmm. I've grown to appreciate him and I, it, it that, makes a little bit of sense to me that saw might the first one might have a little more sensitivity sure. to it uh, despite and I do, the concept i do want to mention too just since, since saw is coming up so much that this is the same writer of saw lee winnell wrote oh. saw and wrote insidious um hmm. so and plays a character you know the two people who um work with elise in the paranormal investigations um yeah i called the, them the exorcism nerds <laughs> yeah the exorcism nerds the shorter clean shaven one is the writer of insidious that's lee winnell i don't know if it's winnell one l i don't know exactly how you well say i don't know if you recognized the other one I, I recognized him at least most recently from fargo season two i thought fargo i knew him from somewhere two. but i couldn't place yeah. it yeah okay one other bit of trivia since we're talking about uh yeah. casting uh, connections so i mean i love patrick wilson I, I i would not trade him i always think he's a very capable performer he's a very interesting guy to me i i really adore patrick wilson but ethan hawk turned this role down oh really and, I, and it would have been such an interesting film uh with him in it not that it's not with patrick wilson in it but i'm like wow how that would have changed the 
dynamic of things if if it was Ethan Hawke. Um, but yeah, he t- he turned down the role. I don't it, I don't know why, but he he turned it down. You know what's interesting, and this is this is tipping my hand a little bit here, and this is a this is a feeling statement. This is not a fact statement. Mm. Um, I actually don't like this the the script that much. I think the story oh, is good and interesting. The direction is great. The casting is strong. I really there were places where I found the script pretty lacking. It just in my mm-hmm. casual sort of like absorbing the movie as I'm watching it. Yeah. I don't um, disagree. I yeah. felt like there was a lot of shorthand scripting or shortcut scripting rather. But sure. I, that's getting a little ahead of the game. Um did you have any other bits you wanted to, tri- to trivialize not trivial bits oh this is a fun this is a fun story that's going to lead into likes dislikes because at almost the top of my likes dislikes is sound design mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so we i mentioned in one of our recent episodes maybe last week or the purge yeah uh, maybe um no creep about moving so we've moved yeah. into this new house well Dating back, uh, li- longtime listeners will remember on Texas Chainsaw Massacre how I watched that movie by myself, or rather as the only adult in the house, um, and basically turned the audio down to nothing and could not hear what was going on because I was so worried my children would lose their minds with <laughs> being so freaked out at that dining room scene in Chainsaw Massacre. Well, that experience planted the seed that materialized in insidious which is i had been pining for some means to headphone my tv you Mm. know like how can i watch like normal on the tv but via headphones and did trial and error on a couple of different things well ultimately settled on and actually this is helpful knowledge if any of you are apple tv users apple tv you can bluetooth so Mm. you don't have to have like a wired set up to make this happen so i found some really good bluetooth headphones and tested it out on some non-horror stuff uh watching atlanta as i referenced a couple weeks ago so i've been watching atlanta in bed with the regular tv but bluetooth into my headphones my wife can sleep or read a book or whatever it doesn't the audio doesn't bother her well insidious was the very first movie horror movie i did this on scary movie and Holy cow. Like <laughs> the one, I really love doing this now. Like the, the way you can get immersed in it. Cause you know, you watch a movie and you're a dad, you're a husband. Like you usually probably watch these movies in the evening or at night. Sure. Like oh, yeah. you, you're so conscientious of everything going oh, on. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Okay, well, the fan is on. Well, I don't want to turn the fan off, so I'm just going to lose some noise from this from the TV show or movie or whatever I'm watching, right? Right, 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 right. Probably going to have like a 30% drop off in what you actually hear. Well, when you throw some really good Bluetooth headphones on your head and just totally dial in, it really doesn't matter what else is going on in the room or in the house. And let me tell you, James Wan (laughs) or whoever his, you know, sound designer is had, you know, uh, lived earned their keep because <laughs> oh my gosh! So not only is this the first time I'm watching a movie like this, and I'm just on edge, and the sound design specifically of this movie is really strong and really pre- precise, 
But also, this movie is about a couple and their three <laughs> kids who move into this new big yes. house. Yes. And I'm by myself. My wife's out of the house. My three kids are asleep up the hall. I'm got the door cracked because I can't hear anything. But I want to sure. be able to see yeah. if anyone comes out of the hall. And I'm laying in bed. I mean, Reed, I went like, you know, my my body went stiff as a board a couple of times because I was so unnerved because the audio right, was right, pumping right, right. into my brain. And... I will say it's a it's a really great way to watch a movie, but it's also pretty darn freaky as well. So that that is that is how I watch this movie. And man, oh, it's awesome! A bunch. Um, oh yeah, it definitely has plenty of jump scares in it, which is part of what people people who are not big fans of the film kind of criticize because they say like really it's dependent upon jump scares. I don't know if I'd go that far, but there definitely are plenty of. So them. how many times had you seen this? This would be my third. Because okay. I, I saw it uh, initially. I didn't see it in the theater, but I saw it initially. And then it had it had been a long time uh, since uh, the sequels had come out, and I had never seen any of the sequels. But when this most recent one came out, ironically, uh, I wanted to see, I wanted to potentially go to see Insidious The Last Key, which is the fourth installment. So I was like, well, let me refresh myself with the first three, and then maybe I'll go see the fourth one. So I rewatched the first one watched for the first time chapters two and three and then ultimately didn't wind up getting out to the theater to see the fourth one <laughs> but right. uh but so for in preparation for this conversation was the third time i'd seen it do you before tipping too far into this person do you like the sequels that you've seen i do i do uh i don't feel that they are as a whole as strong as the first one for reasons does one direct those into. he directs chapter two he does not okay. direct chapter three chapter two is a direct sequel to sure. chapter one almost picks up not the moment it it leaves off but picks up you know pretty much right from where this story ends and proceeds with the story from there um which if you've seen this film and know how it ends then you can imagine the conflict at the heart of chapter two um sure. and so so then chapter three is a way back uh prequel um goes all the way back to when uh like lynn lynn shay the actress who plays elise um when they are children um it goes all the way back to uh to when they were little kids and first sort of exploring this this sort of thing her and lorraine and then from what i understand insidious the last key bridges the gap between that way back prequel of chapter three and the first one so this 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 original installment chronologically is the third in the franchise well and i actually didn't read this i mean so there's there's movies that have a little stinger on them and then there's movies like this first insidious film that like it's not even just that it winks at you about the possibility of future installments like it leaves it right like did you do you know did they shoot them back to back i mean no they didn't no they didn't shoot them back to back because i don't think they knew how it was going to do Sure. I don't think they knew how it was going to like. Was it going to make a lot of money? Was it not? I don't. I, I right, don't think right. they had that. Well, in it's pocket. just so clearly architected to be. Yes. You know, yeah. Uh, um, followed up on to its detriment. I mean, this is since we're in likes dislikes. Like, I don't like the ending of this film. I feel yeah. like to me the natural resolution of the film. I I kind of like the the button that it ends like the scare button that it ends you on. 
I like that conceptually, but I feel like it takes a film that has a pretty satisfying resolution and then just tosses that in at the last minute and almost subverts what I enjoy about the resolution of the story. Sure. Um, so, so I, yeah, I don't love the ending of this film. I, I, I always like it when a film can introduce a surprise and, you know, uh, flavor something a little different way. But for some reason, this to me, I, I then did not feel that this twist that they introduced, which is not really a twist. It's just kind of like a last minute reveal was not really capitalized on. It's just shown and then you're left and then the, the, the right, credits start right. rolling and yeah. it's like, oh, OK, well, 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 what do we do with that? Like what what happens then? So I feel like it's left. A, and chapter two to, you know, to piggyback on that chapter two continues from there and fully resolves that conflict sure, at sure. the end of at the end of the first one um but, well i feel uh, i feel like we're holding back for some reason i mean and anyone who hasn't seen this it's you know these parental characters who uh are in this new house one of their kids kind of bumps their head and goes into a coma and what you learn is he has been the kid has been instead of having nightmares in his sleep or dreams he's been projecting himself astrally into a thing that the movie establishes called the further which is just yeah. this astral plane and the scares of the movie are derived from these entities in that plane are trying to breach into our world to capitalize on his absent, his spiritually absent body. Um, yeah. So, and, and through that, some new mythology is discovered in the father, Patrick Wilson's character. So there's, there's some, there are some competent twists and turns. And I would, I would put this on a like, and I texted you this, that <clears throat> once Elise starts unpacking the further, I was really like, this is cool. Oh, very much. Because yeah. watching a movie like this until you get to that scene, at least knowing genre storytelling period, or as I do, there's two answers here. It's ghosts or it's demons. You know what I mean? Like, like that's what you're sort of anticipating is the case. Right. Right. Um, and so on a certain level, that means, well, maybe I'm not going to be, surprised by whatever the reveal is well then she starts telling this crazy story about astral projection and i was like wow this mm -hmm. this is kind of cool i was not yeah. prepared for this and it's a really good twist on the genre i don't yeah, go ahead go ahead i was just gonna say conceptually it's unique uh it's inventive i can't think of anything else even though i can think of a lot of possession stories yeah and yeah, a yeah. lot of uh you know a lot of sort of otherworldly uh, supernatural paranormal kind of premises the this is really i can't think of anything specifically like this right where it's like no if you have this capacity there are people who will try to inhabit your absence and take you over by your doing as opposed right, to right. most possession stories are like the person's still in there somewhere sure. and it's been you know something else has come to the forefront but this is like, oh, no, you're out there, literally the further, you know, like you're you're literally yeah. out and away and your absence has caused like a beacon of these things that want to come in and, and use that. Uh, and, and I think that's quite interesting. I think it's it's opportunity for some incredible storytelling, which is part of what I would I'm, I'm left a little disappointed by the sequels because I think the premise is exceptionally strong. But, but that's why the the sequel's not quite hitting this high mark for me, leaves me a little uh, ambivalent towards it. Well, it's, <laughs> so I've got two kind of major, semi-major dislikes, and we can move on from there if we want to. But Because one, I the first kind of half of the movie I really enjoyed, maybe mm -hmm. two-thirds almost. Um, 
I'd agree. But but one uh, a, a a dislike is what I wrote down is a songwriter and a high school teacher can afford that house. <laughs> Give me a break. Like there's no way. It was just so yeah, funny. I was like, sure. there's no way they afford that house. And okay, so this is what I mean by some of the narrative shortcuts, the scripting shortcuts. Then it's just like, well, now we're in a new house. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, some of these. Well, and you were especially tapped into the complications of a decision like that. <laughs> yeah, true. Very yes. true. Yes. I know what it takes to get from point A to point B. And you guys totally did not honor that. And there's the, and, and there's none of this whole little like, oh, you're uncomfortable in the house. We'll just move. It's like, I just went through this. I'm right, right. moving for you. Okay. You will see a therapist. You will get <laughs> some medication. We are not moving. I'm not, not going through this. <laughs> oh, let me guess. You're astrally projecting in the middle of the night into a brand new dimension yeah give me a break kid we just moved we're not doing this again <laughs> you're gonna stay in that coma for another three months if we and have you're to gonna until, like it <laughs> until we get past this first little down payment okay <laughs> <laughs> it's called the honeymoon phase kid um oh so yeah that really stuck out to me of like the verisimilitude was all off um oh my gosh but then and this is a big one and and so i don't want to flavor the rest of the conversation with this. I felt like personally once, once the further got visualized or actualized in the film, you know, like once you actually are there, mm-hmm. I had the creeping sense that wasn't, that wasn't concrete until who I call Darth Maul is in his, <laughs> is in his casino upper room you know, like, sharpening his infinity gauntlet. Right. <laughs> yeah. But uh, up until that moment, once the further was revealed, I had this creeping sort of gnawing deflation Yeah. of, of the scare element because, and we can get to some of them specifically, the scares previous to that are very strong. Oh, okay. um, yeah. So, so when Patrick Wilson is roaming around that house with the, the weird ghost people, um, it was kind of like, well, okay. And then when he gets into the dungeon casino place, all, almost complete deflation of, mm. of the scary element. Like mm. where, whereas 10 minutes ago I was tense and nervous and, and unsure of what was happening and, and my, but very scared of it all. All of a sudden I was like, oh, well, this kind of looks lame. <laughs> yeah. It was, it yeah. was a kind of a sad feeling to have. Well, and uh, you and I had talked a bit off mic before this. It's like it makes me it really raises a question for me. That's that's probably a whole side conversation in itself. But it raises a question to me about how valuable it is when we have these concepts of another world, another place. Right. Um, how valuable it is visually to try to see that place. Like sure. I, my mind went to two places. The first place it went is um, a film I desperately want us to cover at some point. Uh, the 1982 Toby Hooper directed. Uh, well, in quotation marks, Toby Hooper directed, because many people believe Steven Spielberg actually directed it, um, Poltergeist. And then the remake that they did, in the original 1982 film, they do not really show you inside this other realm. Um, and in the remake, they do. I won't so say scary. more other than that. What? Oh, that the, original yeah, the, movie is so scary. It is, it is. And I think that that's, 
it's, that's what's fascinating to me is I do feel like there's a deflation when you actually see inside the other realm. It also makes me think of the upside down from Stranger Things, which I'm very fond of Stranger Things more so than I think you are. Listeners go back and listen to our episode about it, our three and a half hour episode about it. Um, <laughs> but but uh, I do feel like, you know, it's tricky to show us the upside down. Things are and, and it just raises a bigger question of is it creepier to know that there's an otherworldly place from which things emerge right then to actually go into that place and see it um and i think that speaks to our imaginative capacity as audience members and what we can imagine and what we can't see sometimes being much more frightening and terrifying you know then we'll probably get into this a little bit in our ultimate episode of uh the blumhouse series but yeah i I definitely like to the point that at the end when the zombie people have breached into our world and are just kind of mummying their way into the room. Yeah. It was so, it was like, eh. Oh yeah. I know. Nothing scary about this. Which is so weird because even after I'd seen it only the first time, one of the most haunting and indelible images in my in my head was the image of, uh, in Lorraine's dream where she creeps open Dalton's door and you know fireface demon is standing there in dalton's corner oh yeah and then culminating in him appearing behind patrick wilson's head i mean like one of the most terrifying moments in a horror film of the last 10 years i think i mean it's it's really very effective so yeah it is odd how the moment you sort of go into this further and that's what's so odd about it incredibly strong concept first two-thirds are very scary and very effective but then you dive into the concept, you actually enter the further and it kind of deflates a little bit slightly. Um, maybe more than slightly. I don't know, but yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I, I I don't quite know why that is. And I think I'm going to chalk it up for the sake of this conversation, just to the power of your imagination versus the power of visualization. Um, that what you imagine is worse. I I don't want to follow this rabbit trail too far, but what you're conjuring to me is just that sort of, uh, narrative risk that gets taken in storytelling sometimes of when you humanize the bad guy, you know, yeah, like, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of like, now I wouldn't call these bad maneuvers at all, but just examples of like the others and lost or even the Cylons and Battlestar Galactica. I remember reading or hearing interviews with Ron Moore of Battlestar about the, the mountains of conversation that happened before they committed to start humanizing the Cylons and getting sure. into their culture. But mm-hmm. that's what happens is if you don't plan well for that, you really take the teeth out of the threat. Sure. Of course. Um, yeah. You know, Understandable. I think that probably has a lot to do with what we're describing here. You mentioned the Patrick Wilson behind the head scene. Let's pivot into scares here. Like sure, that sure. moment, uh, listener, if you haven't watched this, there's a moment where Barbara Hershey, who plays his mother, is starting to unpack some of the starting to tiptoe towards the mythology that's that we're referencing here. Well, it's this real benign scene where Barbara Hershey is talking to Rose Byrne and Patrick Wilson about this dream she had. Well, it's intercut with kind of scary imagery of her dream. So as a viewer, you're like thinking that is the, the sort of scary element of this scene that's happening. Well, then is it that she, because she makes a face of recognition, right? Yeah, what happens is, yeah, so what happens is she's describing the dream. It culminates in her seeing that image of him in Dalton's room. This monster and then, person. This monster thing. And then 
when it flashes back, she she yeah, has this yeah. sort of like startle face and it it cuts to him very quickly when she makes this sort of like startled jump and but, then Yeah, it cuts to Patrick Wilson and you've got this I mean, I keep jokingly, but it does resemble pretty strongly Darth Maul. Yeah. This kind like of Darth, Darth Maul. Maul looking freaky creature stand this head is right behind Patrick Wilson's and it's it's <laughs> I texted Reed some rather colorful words at that moment but um <laughs> but yeah i mean that was great um i love that the movie just starts with this out of context scary old lady yeah. <laughs> yes yes i mean the voices on callie's monitor <laughs> i wrote that big old front door in the first house they're in they've just got this giant front oh, door sure Do you remember yeah that? yeah oh yeah yeah well, no, it's left like wide open. That's the yeah. one that's left. It's the first house, right? Where it's left like wide open. Yeah. Yes. Well, see, what's so hard about these scares? I'm looking down my scares for the first time since I wrote them all down is the further totally deflates a lot of them. <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah, that's not that scary now. But okay. In the moment, though, the bloody handprint at Dalton's foot in the bed. Oh, so creepy. Sure. Yeah. I will say, though, even knowing where the further goes, I don't think this scene is really diminished because it's a really well-constructed scene at least with that weirdo gas mask on that that is i was i was going to mention that that i think that's that whole you want to call it a seance scene or whatever she enters into the further that is freaky because visually it just looks really disturbing yeah Yeah, her her wearing that big gas mask and it's sort of contracted to um, the the writer that I referenced earlier, Lee Winnell, that's the character he's playing. It's contrapted to his head and he's translating what she's saying uh, and what she's hearing. And, and then, you know, it all culminates the lighting changes and it's very dark. It's dim in that, uh, in that scene. Yeah. yeah. And it culminates in Dalton, which we know he's under the influence of this Darth Maulish kind of demon. Um, It just starts wreaking havoc in the room. Yeah, that's a very effective scene. That whole sequence is terribly scary. Well, and it is making me, it's reminding me too of the scene where she's in Dalton's room, maybe for the first time, and she's, um, the nerd is interpreting or or listening to her, but she's whispering real, she's muttering. Yeah. Do you remember this? Yeah. Yeah, Oh, yeah. 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 That's a good scene. Um, So, yeah, I mean, a good number of, really scary moments um i would say for me personally the seance sequence is probably the strongest and and i imagine would retain its place as the strongest even with like if i were to rewatch it my guess is that that scene would still be pretty effective i would agree because it does for me it's still one of the most affecting and harrowing moments in the entire film so yeah i think you'll experience the same thing well and it makes you wonder like you know as we talk about the 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 sort of choices made i mean i get that they made some conscious creative decision to illustrate the further but it almost makes you wonder you know like like what you're describing with poltergeist Mm -hmm. at least engaging the further in that scene is so strong like why i don't know It, it you know things things go through my head like to test audiences did this come up in terms of the the discrepancy or the, as we've called it, the deflation between the two? Like, w- perhaps 
would it have been stronger if somehow Patrick Wilson is strapped to that mask type of thing? And the last scene mm. is, mm. is him thrashing, but searching and you're just hearing a lot more than you're seeing. I don't know. I don't know. Just once, yeah, once he's be. over, once he's over there, it just loses so much. Yeah. It, it, it would be interesting to see what different types of takes they would make on this film. I also think, uh, it's not a, it's not a moral issue for me. It's actually a narrative and a character one. Part of it is the performance of Lynn Shea, who is wonderful in this film. Uh, Lynn Shea plays Elise. She mm-hmm. is, she's fantastic in this film. And part of it is her presence, but her, again, spoiler alerts, everybody. Um, so her death scene is so brutal. Yeah. And, and so kind of out of nowhere. And the, the fact that she's killed and that it's not like that we're shown so much of her, of her death and not left with any sort of like, she's not rescued or, or anything like that. Like the fact that that happens, it's too dramatic for me to call it a betrayal, but they had invested. This is one thing where I would ding the film as a whole. They had invested a lot of capital in my rooting for her. Sure. And it, it felt a bit, um, I just, I, for, for lack of finding a better or more subdued word, it felt a bit abusive to, to take that character and literally like brutalize her and, and have her be dead at the end of the film. That was, and, and spoiler alert, she shows up in all, literally all of the sequels, but um, not because she's been rector- resurrected. Like her character dies in that moment. And sure. so it's, it's, so it's like, man, I, like that is another one of the struggles that I have with the ending is I just feel like it undermines a lot of the very sizable capital. It builds up, throughout the rest of the film with the, with the little twist pivot, which you can say is clever and cool. The little twist pivot that I keep reflecting is that when Patrick Wilson's character emerges from the further and we think all is right with the world, Dalton has come back. The father has come back. And then in a flash moment at the very end, uh, Elise's character, Lynn Shay, who I keep referencing Elise recognizes that he is not back somebody has inhabited his body. In fact, it is a somebody that has been antagonizing her for a long time. The sequels play out. Um, and so the, this this entity, this uh, black-dressed, uh, ghostly, oldish bride kind of thing, I think, they, I think they colloquially call her the bride in black. She's not given a name in the film. But uh, her, uh, she's inhabiting Patrick Wilson's body, and she chokes out Elise and the film basically ends with us realizing this horrible thing has happened. And then like he, he basically taps Rose Byrne on the shoulder and 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 cut, cut to credits. And I'm just like, and, and it just feels a bit unsatisfying. Yes. It's shocking. Yes. It leaves you with this sort of like eerie feeling, but there's a lot that, that happens in all of that, that, that is, um, that, that is unresolved and is left, uh, for me, at least, rather unsatisfying. Um, this, I don't is know. A, this is a random insert here. With Halloween Horror Nights, wasn't there an insidious part of the Blumhouse? Yeah, not of the Blumhouse. It was its own separate maze. So um, That we did? Yeah, we did. It, it, yeah. And it was those little creatures? Like It's yeah, nothing from yeah. the first film, right? Nothing from the first film, except that I think Fireface Demon showed up at one point. You know, you probably had your head you know, tucked <laughs> down behind my, behind my shirt, you know? 
but uh, but no, That's the true. Fireface demon shows up at one point. Um, but we also ran through the insidious maze uh, when it was <laughs> literally like lighter in the day. Yes, we did run through um, when it was like lighter in the day. So um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I don't have a strong memory for it. I will say there's a maze that you can look up. You can look up all of the How- Halloween Horror Nights mazes. Look up a maze, a walkthrough of uh, an older maze that they did a several years ago called Insidious Into the Further. And yeah, watch that maze. It's terrifying. I'm like, I I simultaneously am glad I didn't have to go through it and wish I could go through it because it it looks terrifying. But yeah, uh, they've done some cool things with that at Halloween Horror Nights. Do you have any more? uh, Yeah. Do you have any more scares or anything like that? I think we're I I think we're good to pivot into themes unless you got something burning you want to. You want to chime in on on the scare factor? Um, no, I mean I've got other bullets. I'm overlooking. I'm just not bringing up just because some of it is a little less scary after the fact. But um, I mean, you have the Shining twins in the hallway. You got the pirate in the master bedroom. <laughs> sure, um, sure. No, I'm good. Um, one of the things I think there's two two things going on for me in this film. I don't know what you, I don't know what you had for themes, but the the sort of compound theme that I would bring up is I found it interesting. I've, we've already praised the premise of this idea of you projecting uh, these characters, projecting themselves like an astral projection thing. And then I like in the film when Elise is describing this whole mythology where she's saying like, yeah, he can project himself. He can go out. He thinks it's a dream. So he's not scared. And because he's not scared, he's gone too far. I latched on to that statement uh, this time viewing it probably because we're thinking about theme um, and that idea of, of um, just really thinking about when she said, because he's not scared, he's gone too far. And we, you know, our show is called the fear of God, but we don't talk really very much about this sort of healthy fear, like a mm-hmm. healthy respect of things where it's like, um, yeah, there are certain things about which, we it would be good for us to be at least respectfully afraid, um, at least aware of the risk involved in what we're kind of playing with or dancing around with. And so I, I found it interesting, this idea of like, yeah, because you're not afraid, you can wander into this place and potentially go too far where something we'll call it predatory for the sake of the conversation. Um, the film literally calls it insidious is is waiting to sort of capitalize on your boldness and your naivete and your carelessness, we'll call it, to introduce something more malevolent into the picture. And there's a wealth of places we could go with that, but that's kind of what that's kind of what I keep thinking about. The second part of my compound theme is just it, it's it feels a little on the nose. Maybe it wouldn't be on the nose to our listeners, but um, but it felt a little on the nose. Just the whole idea of the father going into the further to bring the son back because the son got lost. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, so it conjured images for me of the good shepherd going and finding the one that drifted away from the 99 and, uh, you know, stepping into the stepping into the further to face down the the terrors and the monsters to to bring back the lost child uh, found that to be really heartwarming and beautiful. And um, and so that's kind of my compound theme of this idea of how we can, because we're not afraid, wander too far down a path. Um, but then how God in that instance is still faithful to uh, seek us out and bring us back. And I know in the film, the dad doesn't actually make it back, but he does successfully bring the son back. Sure. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, that's, that's kind of my, 
that's kind of my my theme in broad strokes as it were well and i like your this is where multiple viewings of a movie can yield deeper insight i like your extrapolation of the what is the line he went too far because he doesn't know it's a dream what was she it? yeah she's basically explaining to um uh, the the parents dalton's parents and she's basically saying you know he thinks it's a dream so he's not afraid when he projects himself he thinks it's a dream so he's not afraid and because he's not afraid he wandered too far and now can't get back so he's physically he's kind of technically in a coma but right. really he's he's not in a coma he's his spiritual body Dude, is that, that is such a great conceit like even oh, you, it really just is. hearing you oh, describe yeah. it, i'm like man that's good <laughs> like, oh, it's, a, it's a wonderful idea fantastic um, idea. but i feel like you know in trying to find some resonance you know kind of spiritually or at least in the form of the conversations we usually have i don't know maybe there's maybe there's an application there of of how we go to and fro in the world and, and, and assume a level of benignness to things that maybe isn't, I don't know if that's making any sense. Like it does to me. Yeah, no, it absolutely does. Cause I don't, I, um, I'm not sort of one of those folks who thinks, okay, all the world is out to get you. Um, I also, think there's some truth to the statement all the world is out to get you <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah and yeah. and it's really interesting this is making me think of i referenced that chris hayes podcast earlier of like there are and i don't even mean this i don't i don't literally mean this or i don't intend this as spiritually speaking although we can probably just turn the dial a hair's breadth and get there. But I, I, I would encourage anyone to go listen to that podcast, if only for the education aspect, but, but although fair warning, like you're of the outsider, like I was on my way to a work appointment, work engagement, listening to this podcast and finding myself getting teary in a number of Mm -hmm. places, just at the, at the depths of darkness, Mm. that are able to devour the least among us. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, in a certain sense, that's what the movie is about, right? You know, like this child. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Succumbing to what they think is. And, and I know some people would just get tired of my, you know, talking about topical matters, but in this podcast, they talk about, he highlights specifically uh, two instances, but at least one of them, that's a woman with a six year old child and they are coming to what they believe is a benevolent place or at least a benign one and being met with, uh, spiritually speaking, kind of darkness and, yeah, and, sure, and sort of sure. the, the line I'm drawing here in terms of the movie is Dalton does not perceive the danger that he's yeah. exposing himself to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think well, there's, and, and uh, I'm sorry to cut you off there. No, no, no. You're fine. Just simply no, saying, like, I personally could probably stand to be a little more cognizant and a little less naive to some of those forces that are at work. 
is all I'm trying to get to. Yeah. And I, and I think it's a hard balance. I, we've talked about this before. We mentioned this on Creep. We talked about it pretty, pretty extensively on Creep. Um, this idea that you, you really have to strike a balance between it is it is. I've said this before about sort of an extremist pessimistic view. In other words, you know, always thinking that the worst will happen, but then also of the extremist optimist view as well, always assuming that the best will happen. It's sure. like, well, the reality is somewhere in that spectrum in the middle. Like it may tilt a little bit more to the to this side or it may tilt a little bit more to that side. But the reality will probably land somewhere in the in the middle where it will not be as bad as it could be, but also maybe will not turn out uh, very few instances uh, occur which are as bad as they could possibly be. Some do. Some some things are as bad as they could possibly be. And then some things are as good as they could possibly be. But I, I would venture to say most people would agree that on the whole, human experience lands somewhere in that spectrum. Sure. Could be better, could be worse. And what we have a tendency to do is when we, when we approach a subject and we do not have what I'll deem a healthy fear of the risks and ramifications, then I do think it is possible to wander too far. I mean, there is such a thing as lostness, and I think that happens um, both by us uh, us sometimes not realizing when we're stepping into a predator's trap and not realizing when we're playing with fire and that we are flammable. And and I think that there is a – there can be an almost naive sort of sheen that you put onto, onto your view of the world and of the people in it that does wind up getting you into, you know, a, a terrible and horrifying situation that nobody would wish on anybody else. I think that where I would land on that bumper sticker is just to say uh, we have to make sure in our sort of comings and goings that we ask the Lord for boldness and for hope and also ask him for wisdom to know mm-hmm. and to identify, hey, this is this is not a great situation. This is not a great scenario. I mean, I've been, I mentioned this sort of vaguely in creep. I mentioned it vaguely. I'm not going to go into explicit details right now, but I have had experiences, listeners who are not of the Christian persuasion, uh, or even those who are might call, uh, the way the language that I would couch around these experiences might call them a bit mystical, maybe Pentecostal, whatever, whatever you want to, whatever language you want to wrap around it. But I have encountered situations where I have felt like suddenly I was in the midst of a situation and everything physically about me quickens. And I start to get, I start to immediately want to exit the situation for no discernible reason. Like just want to exit the situation because I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling uncomfortable. It's not just because I'm, you know, tired or bored or whatever, but I'm suddenly in the midst of something that I'm like, I feel in danger here. I feel like I'm in trouble. And in in one of those specific instances, I, looking back on it later, really feel like, uh, in, in my view of things, that the Lord was kind of prompting me, like, hey, be mindful because this is a dangerous situation. This is something that is not, uh, that if not handled appropriately, could go very badly and could go very sure. wrongly. And, uh, and the, uh, again, I'm being very, very vague about it for, you know, maybe some, maybe some other pod, I will share the specific instance, but, um, but basically the end result of it was, uh, those dangers were proved to be 
very valid, uh, very valid, at least in the moment for that one situation, I could have been physically hurt by the situation that I was in, um, by another person who had some violent tendencies that people who knew them at the time were not aware of. Um, and so it's one of those things where it's impossible for us to know the future. We don't have crystal balls. We don't have, uh, you know, this, this sort of psychic connection of things. But what we do have, I do believe, is we do have an ability and a capacity to listen, to look, to be watchful, to be mindful, and to pay attention to what's around us. And if we are paying attention and we are, you know, constantly trying to observe more and learn more and grow more, uh, we can we can ask the Lord for wisdom. And 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 I pray that sometimes might sound a little silly, might even sound a little superstitious, but I pray sometimes and I specifically say like, uh, Lord, like I need wisdom in this situation. I have no idea what to do or if I should do anything. And so I need wisdom. And then at that point, it's not like I get some big, you know, stalactite of light from the sky or something. It's just, then I enter the situation and try to handle it in the most mature and reasonable way possible and trust and hope that the Lord has navigated me through this further that I've stepped into, because that's, that's what it really represents to me is this, this beyond this thing where it's like, I don't know what's out there. Right, <laughs> I have no idea right. what's waiting on the other side, if you want to call it that. And to navigate that, um, I'm going to need, uh, some, some guidance. I'm going to need, if you will, uh, as Elise says, you know, follow my voice. I'm going to need a still small voice to follow and guide and, and listen to as I'm navigating this, this further scenario. Anyway, there you go. <laughs> Let me go ahead and bring in, uh, the scripture verse that I had in mind, which, uh, given the tone of the conversation, I might've switched this up because there's several other, uh, sort of more relevant ones. But one of the things, you know, in talking about this, I know there's dangerous things in the world. There's dangerous things sort of beyond. Um, but I do think that it's key for us to remember that even if we are stepping into something that is very dark, even if we are stepping into something that is very overtly sort of insidious, uh, pun quasi intended, um, then we still do not belong to it, nor do we have to belong to it. And the scripture verse that I had in mind for this was Colossians chapter one, verse 13, which says he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And I love this concept of, you know, there, there is this sort of domain of darkness, if you will, but we don't belong there. We don't sit there and he has transferred us to, um, to the kingdom of his beloved son. Uh, again, thinking about this idea that even if we wander too far because we're not, we don't have a healthy dose of fear or whatever, even if we wander too far or get lost, um, that we have a father like in, like Josh in this film who will pursue us and who will seek to bring us back. Um, and, uh, and I think that's a very, regardless of the fearful and dreadful things in the world, I think that's a very hopeful thought. I think that's a very encouraging thought. I concur. so um so if you're all right we can we can i know i've talked through most of that but but uh if you're all right we can go ahead and you're good i'm impressed with um uh i yeah i had a hard time kind of and and again i don't know if it was the circumstances of the watching of the movie um or just it being the very first time I had a harder time sort of plugging into certain thematic aspects of it, but I do appreciate what you were able to extract out of it. Cause I think, I do think it's there. Yeah. 
Um, well, let's go ahead and bring in our own uh, our own version of Elise. Let's bring in David S. Pumpkins, um, <laughs> and uh, he can he can whisper us through the uh, through the further, as it were. Um, so we rate every film that we watch on a metric of David S. Pumpkins. Uh, we rank it by style, scares, and substance. Um, and uh, Nathan, I'm going to pivot to you first. What would you give the James Wan directed Blumhouse Productions uh, produced? insidious what would you give it in the area of style you know if you stop it at the hour 10 mark it might be about a four and a half Mm. um the last 20 minutes brings that four and a half um i'll still be kind of generous and land at um well maybe not two and a half Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say three, but I, I'm 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 still feeling decently strong about my scares, and so I, I, the last twenty minutes really pulls it back to earth for me in a in a pretty strong way. So I gotcha, I gotcha. Um, well, ironically, I will land at a three as yeah. well. Um, and uh, and and part for me, a lot of it is the ending. I feel like for me, I do. It does sort of ding down when they go into the further. But really, for me, it's if they would end when they return, when mm-hmm. uh, Dalton and um, Josh return, uh, and and just sort of conclude there. Then I think I would rank this much higher. But uh, but yeah, that that ending for a number of reasons just does not quite sit well with me. Um, the, not the murder of Elise, or the fact that she's possessing him now, or all of it. The the she possessing him now does not bother me. I think that's an interesting pivot, and it propels the conflict for chapter two into some interesting places. So I I don't mind that part. But yeah, the treatment of Elise, the sudden stop, the fact that there's yeah, not yeah. really a capitalization on that in this first film, um, I think is a pretty major ding for me. So that is, so it just basically leaves us with um, the brutal death of a character that I've come to love throughout the course of the film and then not giving us much payoff for what happens next in this pretty major narrative twist that they sure, introduced sure. so so those things yeah ding it down quite a well bit. and it's funny you say that because and I, this didn't come up in the main part but i think elise does so much expositional work on the rules of the game yeah that it was almost it um i'm okay with it i think but it asks a lot when it reveals that the old lady is now possessing him. It asks yeah, you, sure. the viewer, to buy a lot. Like, okay, yeah. well, I thought she had just been sort of scared off or whatever. And I didn't quite know that he was as vulnerable as he is, but I'm going to go with you because yeah, that's what sure. you're doing. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, I understand. Um, I understand. What about you for scares? So for scares, uh, I'm probably going to gonna uptick it a little bit. Uh, again, discounting sort of the last third of the film, I think there's some really effective, you know, that seance sequence we keep referencing. Uh, so I'm probably going to land at a four for scares. Um, that's maybe being a little generous, but but yeah, I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to go instinctual and go with a four for scares. Um, I'm, I'm with you. I will see your four and lower you a three and a half. <laughs> um, again I, I, and again honestly this is what's frustrating about this movie is you lop off those last 20 minutes and i might be brushing up against a five i mean it is very yeah, effective you. and very scary um it just gets mitigated a good bit once once they head over there yeah what would you give it in the substance meter um my gut is telling me a two and a half okay sure 
Um, I'm not going to be super generous in, in the substance arena. Um, I feel like I extrapolated some things that are definitely there more so than just me sort of baptizing the film. I think there is some, some definite concrete substance to be gleaned there, but um, as a whole, it's not as meaty as some of the other things that we've, that we've covered. So for substance, I'm, I'm again going to lean a little generous and go three and a half for substance. All right. Generous from my measurement. Um, So that means that we give uh, Insidious surprisingly a rather low rating. We're going to give it six out of, well, low for us, six out of 10 David S. Pumpkins, which is still nothing to be too frowned upon, but uh, it's about a midway point, and that's kind of how I feel about the movie. It's It's about midway. I think there's some things to love and some things that are not so lovely. Uh, well, and the purge got a six and a half and we talked for two hours about it. <laughs> yeah. See, so then is that, <laughs> that's true. Awesome. Um, I always feel bad when we like, like the movie I has know, feelings and a personality that we're going to hurt, you know, by. <laughs> that's right. Well, we it. also notoriously gave the shining six and a half, you know, so. so wow. That. Yeah. Who's, yeah. We gave, sh- but it was because we rated it so low for something. Give it up. up. <laughs> If you want to, yeah. I mean, honestly, the listeners go back and hear that if you want to know why we did. Because, like, yeah, yeah, it, it is what it is. But, um, so yeah, all right, so we'll, Riri. I think we'll leave it there. Um, next, I can, I think we can go ahead and tell them what we're talking about next week. We usually leave that as a surprise, but, um, but next week we're going to conclude our Blumhouse series, uh, our Consider the Blums, Candy Coated Water Drops. We're going to actually close down the Blumhouse production series with the film that started it all, the film that quite literally launched. Uh, Blumhouse Productions and uh, reinvigorated the horror genre uh, for a season from kind of some stale uh, material in the early 2000s. So we're going to be talking about paranormal activity. So uh, refresh yourself with that movie if you dare. And uh, Nathan, uh, thank you so much for having this conversation because you know the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It's not the end of the conversation. And thank you for having it with me. (laughs) You're welcome. Live Live long and prosper, my friend. (laughs) <laughs> I've still got my Spock ears. Um, <laughs> all right. So uh, we'll see you next week, guys. Thanks so much. through the window, by the window, that's where I'll become tiptoe through the tulips with me. Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. To continue this conversation, you can follow us on Twitter at The Fear of God. You can visit us on Facebook to comment on one of our posts or post there yourself. You can follow Reed on Twitter at Reed Lackey. You can follow Nathan on Twitter at The Nathan Rouse. Visit MoreThanOneLesson.com to leave a comment on this post or any of the other official episode posts. Email us, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com, all one word, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. And last but not least, if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating or review. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Hi, everybody.